welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. And we're off. Patrick Devinny. He's going to kill me that I used that. That's his signature move. That's right. Father Sean here, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John, good to be with you. Yeah, you too. I was reflecting. I was, uh, reminds me of those introductions that you guys would do. There's one, I mean, I used to listen to this podcast when I was in high school. That's crazy. Which is wild to Literally, think about. I can't believe you just said that. And uh, I remember one where it was like, hey, I'm Deacon Mike. And you were just like, I'm John. I'm John. Regular John. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, we're both priests. We can both say father. That's right. The, um, sorry, I'm eating string cheese right now. Which, are you a just chomp it all the way down guy or do you actually string it i do not peel it i just just chomp at it 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 says a lot about a man how he he eats a string cheese intriguing yeah actually not that intriguing so um yeah well great to be with you um remind me again what you wrote your doctoral dissertation on the mary church perichoresis perichoresis your greek word for the day that's the greek word for the day so well yeah, I, I, today I want to talk a little bit about the rosary, and we have a resident Mariologist here. That's true. Um, so I don't know, I, I mean, I can dive in in a minute here, but uh, the rosary has always been something that's been, you know, taught by many popes recently, but um, I'm wondering if you just want to briefly explain the difference or um, just kind of elaborate on what's... Mariology, like so, the study of Mary, so like as a theology versus like veneration and devotion. Oh man, I just want to point out that that was a PR that was like a minute thirty, and we're rolling into content. Here's the thing: so there are people so, who are going to be so pumped that you're on the podcast now. Well, there's going to be other people who are just like, "Wait, what happened to the banter?" Here's the thing: I was, uh, <laughs> I'm really bad at giving introductions and homilies, and I never like it's the, always the hardest thing for me to do. I'll have my homily down and be like, "I don't know how to give an introduction. I don't know what to say. Right. I don't know how to break the like." you know, get into it. And one day we were at uh, Lord's day sharing graces and I, you know, father Brian is always just like, what'd you preach about? That's like his, always his question. Every time I walk into Lord's day, you got a homily for me tonight or for tomorrow. And I just told him, here's what I preached about. I didn't have an introduction though. And he just like laughed at me and made so much fun of me. Like you have to have an introduction. So yeah, some ethos, but, um, no man, don't hold back. I think, uh, yeah, Banter is something that comes and goes. It ebbs and flows. It can't be forced. And I think that for a long time, we kind of relied too much on it. So I like your your good corrective to we'll uh, to that. So, okay. So let's get into the, uh, the topic here. So the question was, remind me once again. Yeah. So as a Mariologist, you study uh, from a theological perspective. I want to talk about the rosary today. And I'm wondering if you could speak about veneration. So maybe the difference between like... Um, Studying Mary versus venerating her. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's a large question about how we work and how we think about things. Um, I have a a podcast. Well, I think I'm going to do a talk at Lords later this summer. That's right. Uh, and the title of it, I want to say, is how to think about von Balthasar. And the point of it is to say, I want to teach you how to think about him, not what to think about him. Okay, so. We oftentimes talk about Mary, we study her and we talk about her, um, but we don't think about how to be in relationship with her, mm. right? If somebody asked me, what's Father Sean like? You got this new host on the podcast, what's he like? I could tell them things about you. 
they might feel like they know you. Um, but to say, if somebody says to me and says, you know, if your mom calls me and says, how do I deal with Sean in this situation? Cause he's a priest now and he's not coming to, I don't know, you know, we don't have him for Christmas Eve or what, you know, then it's talking, then I'm talking about a relationship, mm-hmm. how to talk to, how to communicate with, how to get into his mind, into his world. And so there's kind of a how to thing that needs to be recovered, um, theologically. So it's not just about what to think about a person. It's about how to be in relationship. It might be the better way of putting it. So veneration is um, an aspect of relationship. So it means knowing who Mary is and how I stand in relationship to her, right? Hmm. I was talking to a seminarian who, I will just say, did something rather stupid uh, in response to his bishop. And I told the guy, I said, you're great at banter. You get an A in banter. You get a D minus in respect. (laughs) Because respect has to undergird banter, right? And uh, if it doesn't, it shows a a kind of a disassociation of the relationship. Mm -hmm. This guy is your bishop. He's a successful apostle. He's not your bro. He's not your bro. So don't treat him like a bro. So you can banter with him. And this this particular bishop really likes to, he's got a great sense for he's got a great sense of humor. He likes to kind of razz guys. But no, you gotta, you know, you gotta show that. So Marian veneration arises out of being in right relationship with her, understanding exactly who she is. And I think that's very different than just studying her and thinking about her, though that's not bad in itself. It's just not sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I think you need both. Um, and so that's why, I, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I already told you this, but I wanted to pick a little bit easier of a topic. Uh, first time leading a, a podcast, uh, which is great. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. But yeah, I wanted to talk about the rosary because I think the rosary can kind of bridge those two gaps between the, the studying of Mary, right? Knowing about her life, specifically also Jesus's life, right? That's what we meditate on when we pray the rosary, but then being able to venerate and have a relationship with her, right? So all things to Jesus through Mary, um, which I love, you know? So uh, part of the reason why I was thinking about this question is because, right, Father Brian at my parish, he teaches RCIA. We have a great RCIA program there. If you're ever wanting to learn more about the faith, we invite the whole parish. You know, you'd be more than welcome to join us for RCIA, um, throughout the, the semesters, throughout the school years. Um, but at the very end of the year, one of the people who were coming into the church were like, what about the rosary? And he even said, this is a great, great question. He goes, you know, so if the priest says, pray the rosary for your penance in confession or pray three Hail Marys for your penance, can I say, I don't want to do that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you could, you could probably say that. But his question is like, why the rosary? Why do we pray the rosary? What is the rosary? Where does it come from? I think for a lot of people, it just seems, a lot of Catholics, it just seems like, oh, this is just some thing that the Pope, the popes have just often said, just pray this and you'll be fine. Pray the rosary and there'll be world peace. Pray the rosary and all your problems will go away. Um, you know, but but I think the question there of, of what is the rosary, where did it come from? So I might uh, interject or just add to that to say that um, the rosary is a Christological act. Um, what I mean by that is that, and it doesn't always feel like this, but we have to get back to it. Who really changed my mind on this was Von Balthasar wrote a book called The Threefold Garland. Mm-hmm. And I recommend it to people when you hit, when you hit that kind of, when you stagnate in devotions, 
So like you've been doing it forever and then you're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And I've, I definitely have gone through that at, at times with the rosary, you know, you have these moments when you're like, I ought to pray the rosary every day because that's what a good Catholic ought to do. Right. Okay. That's fine. That'll get you, that'll get you a couple of years through seminary, you know, or into your married life, but it's not going to sustain you through life. The kind of what living in the should, you know, what ought I to do? So Balthazar is, he's great because he says the rosary is meditating on the mysteries of Christ with Mary's eyes. Mm. So you're looking at Christ and you're looking at, you're walking through his life, but as Mary, because Mary is the only person whose life was coextensive with Jesus. Nobody was there in the beginning and in the end, all the way through it, only Mary. Mm. Joseph wasn't there at the end. John wasn't there at the beginning. She's the only one who mm. whose life is, again, coextensive with that of Christ. So I offer that just as an initial yeah. kind of thought. Yeah, that's great. And we can get more into what that looks like here in a minute, but the history of the rosary, right? And correct me if I'm wrong here, Mariologist. Um, the the rosary developed uh, kind of as a practice relating to the monks in the monastery, right? So originally there were three mysteries um, or three um, sets of mysteries of the rosary, um, which 50 Hail Marys, then you're praying 150 Hail Marys in total which relate to the 150 Psalms. So the monks, right, they were praying a one-week Psalter. They were praying all 150 Psalms in one week. Us diocesan priests, we are not that good. We pray all 150 Psalms in four weeks, right? We have a four-week Psalter. Uh, But as the monks were doing this, praying the 150 Psalms, what can be the Psalter, if you will, for the laity who don't necessarily, uh, who are illiterate at the time? So this would have been like Middle Ages, um, probably 12th, 13th century. And so there began the practice of the rosary. And there was always kind of this ancient practice of beads, praying with beads, maybe the Jesus prayer for the hermits and the desert fathers. But how do I stay in relationship with the Lord throughout the day, make anchors, um, right? The bells toll, I go pray in the monastery. How do I do this as a layperson in the world, living in the world? And it's hard to tell. I was reading about this um, a little bit. It's hard to tell exactly where it started, where it came from. But essentially, the practice was to mimic praying of the Psalms. I pray 150 Hail Marys to mimic praying uh, 150 Psalms. Yeah, you think about, you know, the medieval world. um, Towns were not built around whole foods, you know. They were built around monasteries. So the life and the rhythm of agrarian societies and, and literally towns that grew up and became cities started around monastic centers. This is what civilized the West um, in the, again the tenth, you know, ninth, tenth, eleventh centuries in particular. And so they were plugging into the life, but you're working the fields, you're taking care of the cows, you're doing whatever you're doing in agrarian medieval life. Um, but there was a rhythm and a flow and a structure mm-hmm. to it, and. There, repet- and here's my question for you is the, why, why repetition is important in prayer mm. because I think there's a lot of Christians especially kind of like more evangelical types that would say no you gotta just prayer needs to be spontaneous and free and from the heart and you don't need to do these kind of rote prayers so what would you say to that yeah I think um, for one this is what the Dominicans or I'm sorry this is what the Benedictines would say is that it's almost like the repetition becomes the distraction Right, so when we're in prayer, oftentimes distractions come up, and then I'm not even praying anymore. I'm just thinking about 
mountaineering or thinking about hockey or thinking about how the Avs totally beat the Blues last night. Which was amazing. Which was epic. I texted Father Tony Davis. He never texted back. Shocker. Though. I didn't even I didn't even think to text Goble. I was like, don't even don't yeah, poke that's the bear. Smart. I, I definitely poked the bear. He's probably mad at me right now. Um, but, you know, it, right, praying the rosary, the Benedictines would say, allow the Hail Marys to be repetitive so that that becomes the distraction so that you're actually thinking about the life of Christ. As you were just saying, um, you're praying through the lens, through the eyes of Mary on the life of Christ. And as you reflect on the life of Christ, that um, kind of repetition prevents you, prevents your mind from wondering. You're just thinking about the Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, so that you can then meditate on, you know, the birth of Christ, the nativity, the assumption of Mary. Yeah, I mean, even this morning, I was just all over the place in Holy Hour. It was, I was so distracted. I had just a million things in my mind. I just could not recollect. Um, and I went to the Psalms and just was like, I have to just, I need the voice of the church to kind of carry me through this time because I just want to leave right now. I don't really want to be doing this because I'm just thinking about all the million things I have to do today, which is a terrible way to pray, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a sense that repetition, both in the these the kind of, these pure distillations like the Our Father and the Hail Mary that come right out of the scriptures and kind of consolidate and concretize the whole Christian life or the Psalms, the beautiful poetry, which is at the heart of scripture. These things are meant for us to help us. They're not, they're not, you know, it's not like they're, if you're really dumb or really simple, you just pray those and then you get really profound and you say things like, you know, you know, hey, daddy, God, and you start, you know, whatever the weird stuff that John Fraker makes fun of when we right. talk about these things. So, yeah, God of pronouns, as I recently heard. Oh, God. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so it became this practice. And then um, St. Dominic uh, started the Dominicans and he, there's a, story it might be a little bit of a legend um, of how mary appeared to him and mary handed him the rosary right and so this is the famous image of our lady of the rosary um which my favorite image is actually our lady of pompeii in pompeii mm -hmm. italy if you've ever been there and um yeah it's just a beautiful image of saint catherine of siena on one side and, and saint dominic on the other side and Mary handing the rosary to St. Dominic, essentially saying, I entrust you to spread this devotion throughout the world uh, that people may meditate on Christ through the eyes, through the lens of Mary. And I think that's really when the devotion really kind of developed and really kind of took root. Again, So you would say the more the Dominican, the mendicant movement with the rosary than... Then the monastery is kind of its early foundations, but really with Dominic. That's my understanding. Yep. And that makes sense too, because the Dominicans, uh, mendicant preachers, so they're out. They're trying to, the Albigensians are spreading mm. heresy all over Europe. They're, they're on the move. They're living a conventual life, but they're also like out um, preaching. Right. And so you need something. They're praying in the office, but you, you're on the move. And so you want that. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. I could see St. Dominic making all these rosaries and saying, here, take this now, as he's mm -hmm. fighting the Albigensians. Um, but one, I think, the, f the most fascinating story that I, I want to share today is, is uh, the Battle of Lepanto. Are you familiar with that? I am. So I was reading about it a little bit, and then I was talking to our seventh grade class this morning, 
and uh, one of the kids, I was just like, hey, who can, who can give a good summary of the Battle of Lepanto? And this kid just like rose his hand and just like recounted every single detail. And only was, at your parish. Only at a classical a, school. A classical school, yeah. That's right. So um, shout out to him. His name's Adam, Adam Hiltz. Uh, he knew every single detail about it, uh, which was awesome. But right, so the Battle of Lepanto, uh, 16th century, the, the Ottoman Empire in the East, the, the Muslims, the Turks, they're trying to spread their empire farther to the West, uh, farther throughout Europe. And then eventually they said they even want to reach uh, the New World into America. And the Holy League, right? So the Papal States, along with some of the other Catholic states, Spain, Italy, uh, I think France was even a part of it at the time. They said, and the Pope, they were just like, we can't let the, the Muslims spread their heresy throughout the Western world. And they were greatly outnumbered in this battle. It was the, the Battle of Lepanto. It was the biggest maritime naval battle in all of history, I believe. And so they start pushing east, and they want to make a huge wall so that the, um, the Ottoman Empire can't push any farther west, uh, again, on the, on the sea there. This Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea, a little bit north, uh, so like east of Sicily, uh, so almost the Aegean Sea, so like kind of where the Aegean Sea meets the, or the Adriatic Sea Adriatic, yeah. meets the Mediterranean okay, Sea. Okay, gotcha. And so they're, they're pushing east. Now what was crazy is the Pope said, we are way out, this is Paul V, I believe. Uh, I just read about this this morning. Sounds, that sounds right, yeah. And he said, uh, we are greatly outnumbered. We are going to lose this battle. We're going to be completely obliterated unless we have people praying the rosary. And so he spread throughout the whole Holy League, all the papal states. He said, everyone needs to pray the rosary on October 7th so that we can have this win. And as these ships are lining up, the wind is blowing straight into them, which means the other side, the the Turks, are going to have all this momentum, all this power to essentially run right through them. Uh, I can't remember what hour was. I think it might have been 3 p.m., which would be fitting. Uh, the winds turned 180 degrees, and all of a sudden the wind was at the backs of the Holy League, um, the Papal States. And it totally, through the power of the rosary, through the power of prayer, was able to for that Holy League to then push back against the Ottoman Empire. And they won the battle. They defeated them. And the legend goes, I don't know if this part's true, but the legend goes is that afterwards... Uh, the French, after the defeat, they said, we've defeated the Muslims. We should bake something. We should have a French pastry to show our defeat of them, to remember this. And so the legend is that that next morning, they baked a bunch of croissants, the crescent moon, right. which represents the Muslims, and we're going to eat them <laughs> to essentially show our victory. So probably so not. That's the history of the croissant. I had heard that also, actually. I think Femister told me that. Yeah, that's where I learned it in seminary from, from Dr. The Femister. history of the croissant. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? that today. Yeah, it's, it's not the most pol politically correct anymore, but uh, it's great. I yeah, love that. but that's part of the problem, right, is that um, we don't have any sense that that matters, that the world, if it would have been dominated by Islam right. in the 16th century, uh, that that uh, it's okay. Everybody's just kind of equally nice, and as long as we kind of all, it's we've just lost a total sense of the the foundations of so much that we take it for granted. So much of the good uh, of our civilization is rooted in in the Judeo Christian tradition. We've just so willingly tossed it out because of ideological forces. But it's like you don't have this. Mm. You don't you don't have you know 
all of these things that have developed out of it, hospitals and universities and human rights, and just go through the list of these things. Um, so yeah, it's this was a definitive moment when civilization was kind of hanging by a thread. Yeah, absolutely. And I think many theologians and, and more importantly, historians have said that this battle was, was definitive. If the Holy League would not have pushed back on the, the Ottoman Empire, they would have kept spreading west. And so this really put them in their place, if you will, and, and prevented them from going any farther west, um, which was huge, you know. And so a uh, huge military defeat. Now, why, that, why I share all that is because October 7th then becomes uh, Our Lady of Victory because of the rosaries that were prayed. So October's, October 7th, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Victory in remembrance of that, the Battle of Lepanto in which we won. Now, if have, you ever, have you ever read Chesterton's book, Lepanto? Yeah, I was just about to get into it. Okay, it's a yeah. short little poem. Yeah. Um, I did read it in, in the Chesterton class I took up at Jack Jr. Nice. Uh, which was great. So um, great poem, and it just kind of talks about how Philip II in Spain paid for all this and, and just the kind of the different movements and very poetic, very good. Uh, Chesterton, Battle of Lepanto poem. Highly recommended uh, if you haven't read it. So Our Lady of Victory, uh, which has now been renamed to Our Lady of the Rosary. And so hence the topic for today. Uh, why pray the rosary? Why entrust these things to Mary? I think when we're in kind of those movements, those moments when we don't know how to pray, we don't know how to express ourselves. As you were saying, I'm distracted. I don't know how uh, to even focus right now. I think sometimes the best prayers we can make are these kind of rope prayers, if you will, of let me just give my heart to the Lord, maybe uh, repetitively, hail Mary, full of grace, hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, etc. Let me just give my heart over to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how to pray right now, so I'm going to entrust these prayers to you that you've taught us how to pray. I surrender my heart to you. And that's the, that's the heart of Mary, right? It's the heart of total surrender. Um, there so. are, yeah, sometimes it's like you have to be carried by the prayer of the church. Um, I was reminded of this with a, f- a friend recently told me about his dad um, who had terrible uh, Alzheimer's and basically lost everything, lost all of his memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end, it was just one of these just terrible um, and tragic um, kind of conclusions to life. But he never forgot the the prayers of his childhood, mm-hmm. and he would pray them constantly. And at the end of his life, that's all he prayed. Wow. He couldn't speak. He didn't know who anybody was. He couldn't, he couldn't remember anything. But those were so deeply ingrained in him that they, they carried him to the end. And so there's... There is just a deep sense of like, if we get beyond the self-reliance that dominates so much of our prayer life and realize that there are times and ways that we have to just, we get reduced to just the purest, simplest childlike prayer, which is where you just kneel Mm -hmm. and pray. Um, These things are massively efficacious and they carry us. They carry us through, through the difficult, like the really painful moments of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are the mysteries of the rosary? You want all of them? Just the... Well, you hang out with these tratty folks at your <laughs> parish. Do they? Some of them are upset that John Paul II added, maybe not anymore, but I remember when John Paul added the five luminous mysteries, there mm-hmm. was all these, these tratties who were like, you can't do that. 
And it's just like, oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, I, I have heard people are upset about that. I don't know about my parish, but... No, not at your parish, I don't think so. Joyful Mysteries, Sorrowful Mysteries, or Luminous Mysteries, Sorrowful Mysteries, Glorious Mysteries. Yeah. So, so 20. So, uh, as you mentioned, St. John Paul II added them, I think those Glorious Mysteries in maybe the late 80s, I want to say, early 90s, something like that. And right part of it is because from the Joyful Mysteries to the Sorrowful Mysteries, so Joyful are about kind of Christ's uh, birth, nativity, presentation the temple uh what happens from then until the sorrowful mysteries which would be the agony in the garden and so forth the crucifixion um what about jesus's whole life in between then from age 12 to age 33 uh, what are we meditating on there and so john paul ii showed you cannot it's not just these three sets of mysteries that we meditate on we can meditate on anything anything in christ's life through the lens, through the eyes of Mary. And so he said, why don't we add these luminous mysteries uh, to talk about his life a little bit, to, to see um, you know, Jesus at the Last Supper, to see Jesus instituting the Eucharist, um, etc., the wedding feast of Cana. So, Do you do much with the uh, scriptural rosary? Do you ever do that? Very rarely. It's pretty nice. I mean, I, I don't do it that often. I have to say, I honestly pray the rosary mostly in the car. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, sorry, Mary. But um, th- that is a nice thing to just kind of freshen it up every once in a while, just to kind of reimmerse all the mysteries back. But you gotta, have, you gotta have some time to be able to do that. But that, that's a nice practice, I think. Of it just is not detaching this from the story of Christ. Mm. Because I mean, the, the reason why people get weirded out by rosaries is they just think it's kind of your magic thing, and you just say these prayers, and it's right. uh, and it's like no, no, this is. But there's something. Protestantism lost something when it just kind of rejected this sense of mm. that repetition in prayer. This is part of like the human religious experience. You think of mantras and kind of Eastern practices. Like it, it's there's something about meditation, repetition that is it actually kind of does something to the mind, mm. and it kind of allows things to kind of yeah, you pray differently. Not that you shouldn't have silence or kind of interior stillness, but there the devotion has always been a, an aspect of the church where it's like we're being educated through this, but in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to that point earlier, I think it's not it's not just enough to study the life of Christ. It's not just enough to study the life of Mary. We also have to have their persons. We have to have relationships with them. And so I think the rosary is a great starting point. If you struggle with Mary, if you don't know how to connect with her, um, try the rosary, pray the rosary. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, praying it in the car from time to time. I think I think it's okay. You know, I think a lot of people would maybe disagree with me on this, but I think it's okay to split the, uh, yeah, the rosary up, you know, so five decades per day. I think it's okay to, you know, anchor those at different times of the day. And as you mentioned, if I get in the car and I have a five-minute commute, what if I just prayed two decades real quick or just right. one decade right. and then maybe turn on the radio? Um, or Catholic stuff you should know. Or there you go. Whatever you're listening to in the car. No, there's something about the, there has to be freedom and devotion. I mean, I, I just I think that um, yeah, the, there's a there's a turning point in life when it's no longer the I do I pray the rosary every day to check the box uh, of I'm a good boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I did all my good spiritual practices today. That's good. Uh, then there's usually a crisis of like, I hate this, I don't want to do this anymore. And then there's a sense of like, 
I just, I want this because I want to be in relationship with Christ at all times. Mm. I want to, I want to live today in and through him. And there's something about when I get in the car before, yeah, before I turn Spotify on and start jamming out to whatever, uh, fish. even my favorite. Oh yeah. Fish. Um, you, you just, you get a rose, you, you even pray a decade. Um, there's something really powerful about just kind of realigning yourself in Christ in those moments, relocating yourself. And it's just, it's a beautiful, simple practice that we've done for a millennium. And that says something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the popes have recommended it as well. And I think that that does weigh something, you know? So, um, I mentioned Our Lady of Pompeii, Our Lady of Victory being in Pompeii. When I took a pilgrimage there, uh, 2019, summer of 2019, I was doing a program called the Rome Experience. We went down there and I just had a really peaceful experience there. And I think I've t- shared this with you before, um, but I was just praying there and, and looking at the image of Our Lady of, of Pompeii, Our Lady of the Rosary. And it just felt like Mary saying, like inviting me to pray the rosary a little bit more often, uh, even every day if I can. Prior to that, I think I prayed the rosary. Like I didn't even know how to pray the rosary until I went to seminary. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time we, um, we had night prayer at, Jack Jr., right? St. John Vianney, SJV College, and we prayed night prayer, Sunday night prayer together, followed by the rosary. And I had no idea what they were even saying. Like, I know the Hail, Hail Mary, Our Father, but like the the mysteries, I had no idea. Yeah. And um, anyways, in seminary, I've kind of learned the practice a little bit better. But then, yeah, right before my diaconal, diaconate ordination, just having that experience down in um, Pompeii, Italy, of just the imitation of Mary saying, will you pray this more? Uh, I want to be closer to you. I want to be your mother. And it's so important for us priests to have a relationship with Mary. She really is our mother. And uh, that's, that goes for the whole church. She's a mother to us. Uh, she teaches us what it means to love, to nurture, to be nurtured, to be nourished. And I think veneration is very important there. I'm going to risk saying something controversial, but I'm just this is out of my experience of doing spiritual direction. In some ways, I'm qualifying this, Devotion to Mary seems harder for women hmm. uh, in the sense that uh, from what I've heard that Mary becomes like so perfect. Oh yeah. That it's like, how can I ever, I'm, and especially if it's just like, you know, we all have kind of wounded self image and, and uh, kind of working on that healing in that. But there's a, there's a real hurdle over like versus for us as men, especially as guys consecrated, as priest is just like, this is our mother. This, this is who you talk to. You mm-hmm. know, if anything, we have a harder time relating to um, Christ and his masculine humanity as a, as a brother or as a, as even a father. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I, I just noticed that, that, that's just, I'm going to put that out there. That's just, that is my experience from 11 years of, of walking with people and talking. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I would just say, um, don't be intimidated. Um, don't be intimidated by it, but pray for the grace to receive Mary as a mother uh, and not as kind of uh, a condemnation of everything feminine and maternal that you are not, right? Right. Which is, uh, which is obviously a lie, and that's not of God. So. Right. I think, I think that's probably a good insight because I think priests and, and men probably have a hard time, like you said, relating to, to God, the Father, and Jesus in the sense that, like, yeah, it, we project our own kind of wounds on him at times and say, I'll never be a good father like him or whatever. Uh, those are lies, you know? And I think Mary summoning us to, um, draw closer to the heart of Christ 
you know, through her immaculate heart, which conquers as well. So don't be afraid to pray the rosary. I think you have to start somewhere. My, my grandma used to always tell me, uh, if I don't finish the rosary, the angels finish it for me. Yeah, exactly. My mom says the same thing. So start somewhere, you know, maybe pray a decade every day and, you know, build up to maybe the whole rosary and, and if you can. You well, and just start carrying it with you, mm. you know. I remember I was working with some guys uh, at a Bible study at Cabrini, our old parish, and um, one of the guys was a, a real character, but also like had some real struggles, and uh, he got a text from a certain woman, and he was on his way to do something we won't talk about, and he went to grab his car keys, but he reached into the wrong pocket, no. and he pulled his rosary out, That's great. and he just slammed it on the ground because he was so convicted, and he didn't end up going over there. And he didn't, uh, and he just told me that story, and it just it saved him from some very serious sin. Uh, so not to say that the rosary is a catch-all, but there's something good about having this thing in your pocket, mm. um, because even if you're not praying it every day, or you're not praying it perfectly, or you're in the car, or whatever, like I am, um, just having this on you uh, is I just I don't know. There's something about it. You got to have a rosary, of love. So, yeah. Amen. I would agree with that, and caveat don't be weird about it though you're not a monk you don't have to wear it around your belt loop or whatever oh my god i prayed the the longest and most painful rosary of my life in knock ireland with these steubenville grads there was like a full litany of saints after like every hail mary i literally wanted to grab the guy and just knock him out my brother and i were with these people and it so it was just so over the top so yeah Sobriety in devotion is certainly something uh, that we need. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Battle of Ponto, St. Dominic, and uh, the Rosary. Very good. How'd that feel? First podcast. I'm intimidated. You're intimidated? You did very well. Thank you. You got to remember that when we started this, they were like eight minutes long. Stylites. Stylites. And we we just sounded like total idiots. (laughs) So if you ever feel bad... Just go listen to the first couple years uh, and be like, okay, I'm not as much of an idiot as those guys. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a different thing to to kind of break down a topic, and I think you did a good job of tying it in. What I like is the the you know again resituating the rosary as a Christological reality. You're folk, you're praying on mysteries, mm-hmm. okay, um, and then also I like the idea of relocating devotions in history. How did we get here? Uh, it tells a story. Lepanto is an amazing story. And just read Cheshnan's poem if you want to get a deeper sense of it. Um, St. Dominic and the Dominicans. Um, these are real people like you and me who have, uh, who, but whose radical yes to Christ transformed the way that we pray. Mm. And if St. Dominic had not received that, if Lepant, if Pius the, or Paul V had not asked for the prayer, uh, we wouldn't, wouldn't showcase this devotion in such an intense way. Mm. But Mary's the heart of everything. She's the one who shows us how to be in Christ because she is totally in Christ. So that's the way. Amen. And we wouldn't have the croissant. And we wouldn't have the croissant. (laughs) All All right. right. Got any shout outs? Yeah, I do. Just picking up this rosary in my pocket, I want to shout out Catherine Morris, Catherine Arend, or Arend, whatever, however one pronounces it. She gave me this rosary from Assisi years ago, and I'm so attached to it, and I lose it all the time. And I get really upset that when it's gone. And then it always kind of finds its way back. So one of these days, I'm going to be so inordinately attached to it that the Lord's just going to take it. But I want to thank her and give her a shout-out. And then I have one other shout-out, if that's okay. I was with the um, Catholic Foundation yesterday. We had a um, 
networking brunch. Oh, there you go. Love it. That I was given a talk on, uh, and I met uh, Beth Chatterton. Mm. And uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, but her husband Greg does. And so this is a shout out to both of them. Beth, thanks for your work at the Catholic Foundation. And Greg, thanks for listening. Awesome. Shout out for me goes to Jesse and Sarah Saltarelli. Hopefully going to see them when we do our pilgrimage this summer. We live in Buffalo, New York. Um, good friends. I taught Totus Tuus with Sarah and then they got married, I don't know, five, six years ago. Anyways, they... Um, Jesse owns a shop. He does leather work called New House Leather. Highly recommend it. I just opened the package today, so thank you, Jesse. He sent some. Um, I had some breviary covers made for the newly ordained guys, and they look they look pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. We love that. So New House Leather. Well, great, great to be with you. You as Thanks well. Thanks for your Sean. insights. Yep. Your, thank you, buddy. Your Mariology and and whatnot. So Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, thoughts, complaints. Roast and toast, we welcome them all.